Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Chris Lance. Chris is a senior director at UNA, the group purchasing organization and the home of the Sourcing Hero podcast. He has experience in multiple industries with a particular focus in healthcare and technology. Now, as he has for the last few months, Chris is joining me again this week for a discussion of top news stories and what lessons all of us might be able to draw from them. So hi, Chris. Welcome back. Hey, Kelly. How are you? I am doing great. It's funny. We were we were just chatting as we're recording here in late July. Um, it's hot everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so it's nice having you come back regularly because all of us are getting to know you better. Mm-hmm. And we created some controversy last month, a little yeah. bit of video game rivalry with the Una team. Mm-hmm. But this month, I thought maybe we would get to know you a little bit better. So in your free time... What kinds of hobbies or or things that you enjoy doing outside of the group purchasing organization and procurement world? Yeah, so so when I'm not working, I would say uh, family time pretty much dominates my life. And to be honest, though, I, I really couldn't be happier about that. Um, the me time, though, as far as like hobbies or my outlet, um, I'll say it's kind of reserved for time at the gym, or maybe not even just the gym, but kind of pushing my own physical limitations. So I like to go for really long runs or especially in this heat, sometimes I'll try and do sprints or long rucks. Um, Like right now, for example, I'm actually, I'm training for something that's called uh, the tactical games. But for me, it's really, it's really kind of any sort of uh, physical or mental boundaries that I can kind of push or, or challenge myself. That's what I enjoy doing when I'm not uh, either chasing one of the two kids or or spending time (laughs) with, with my wife. Now, the tactical games, this sounds a little bit like the Hunger Games. Do we need to worry about you? No, don't be worried. Don't be worried. But uh, <laughs> Will you be it, here next month? <laughs> yeah, I will. I, I plan on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, it's it's a combination of um, kind of, you know, sport sport shooting, I would say, but also kind of a hybrid of that with CrossFit. So it takes oh, interesting. extreme, you know, mental stamina so much as it does uh, physical stress on, on the body as well. So really just kind of training for that with the, with the, with a crew, a group of buddies I, I hang out with. Um, but yeah, pretty much just staying fit, challenging myself on my personal life equally as much as I do professionally. So, Well, there are plenty of challenges for all of us to face these days. And in fact, we're actually going to take two news stories today that have certainly both been in the headlines in the last couple of weeks. We're going to draw some lessons out and then we're actually going to compare them. So I think people are really going to enjoy this conversation. Um, right up front, I'll share with everybody that the two stories we've picked are different examples of turmoil that's happening around the globe. 
One is the turnover of authority and all of the economic fallout taking place in Sri Lanka. And the other is the protests being put on in the Netherlands by farmers. Um, So believe it or not, we are going to connect those two things. But let's start with the upheaval in Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. So just to bring people up to speed really quick, Sri Lanka is uh, an island nation in South Asia, um, and effectively, they have run out of money. Um, so essential services are not being provided, and chaos has ensued. People have probably seen pictures of citizens who sort of stormed the presidential palace. They were swimming in the pool, and you were talking about the gym, Chris. They were in the former president's gym using his treadmill. Um, but really, it's been an unbelievably unstable time and and events continue to unfold. So I'm I'm interested to get your read on this situation. Yeah. So for me, um, I was surprised, but I wasn't necessarily shocked. Um, And and the reason for this is, well, admittedly, right, I I encourage everybody to look at, you know, a variety or an alternative of uh, different news kind of sources. But if you look way back when this when this all really started, it's I would argue it's been kind of a long time coming because back in 2019, I mean, I think their whole their whole country, it's a smaller island, right? But I think a lot of their their um, their revenue or is going to come through, you know, travel and, and tourism. And I think right before COVID hit, I think there was something they called the Easter bombings. And I think that caused a pretty big hit to travel and tourism, but then COVID and the lockdowns happened. Um, so then you start the sequence of events around, you know, supply chain issues, and then uh, not to take too much time. So fast forward all the way up to April, right? In April, there was actually already a state of emergency declared due to similar protests, and in that same week, there were there was massive uh, resignations on the I think the cabinet. And then if you look forward just one week beyond that, there is a formal announcement from the country's doctors saying that they were running out of life-saving medicine. So I think it even goes beyond just running out of money because then you get to May and <laughs> it, it's cringy to even say out loud. But you know, there, I think there were, there were orders like shoot to kill orders based on, wow. these, on these protests. And then, yes, the plot thickens. You get into June and all of their fuel sales have been suspended. Um, now we're in July and there's new inflation records. And yeah, I mean, I think what really caught everybody's attention was, you know, the, the sitting president literally in the middle of the night being chased out of the country. Um, I th- think the last I heard, he, <laughs> last I heard I, he was going to the, to the Maldives. Um, so for me, it's, it's kind of been a long time coming. Uh, but what makes me scratch my head is, well, how many other places are, are dealing with similar issues and are they that intense? Because um, one could argue that just about every country is having similar if, similar issues, whether it be gas, whether it be food, whether it be supply chain. Um, I think there's a lot of, lot of uh, locations that are they're still on their heels. So, Well, and it's interesting as, as we've taken on in previous conversations with sort of different news backdrops. We've talked about how interconnected everything is, mm-hmm. right? And this is sort of that, you know, what is it from Jurassic Park? A, a butterfly flaps its wings and, yeah. you know, however many miles away a volcano erupts, right? These seemingly unconnected things have a way of sort of disrupting the overall system. Um, and certainly there's been 
a lot of supply chain disruptions that have originated in greater Asia. Um, and so having a destabilizing force in any country in the region is certainly cause for concern. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think the, the unfortunate part is when you look at why, okay, like ask the question, why are they protesting? Is it just they're they're fed up with policies, you know, that they as in, you know, the, the common person maybe being just fed up with policies or being pinched for lack of a better term. But I think the reality is with some of the impacts they're experiencing, it's, you know, maybe fa- our families, like our, our livelihood, not just livelihoods, mm-hmm. but our lives on the line, um, especially in more of those uh, herbal or these, these urban settings where food is more scarce Um Medical needs are just not simply put, just not being fulfilled. And then it was, it was ironic. I know on our last podcast, we had talked about how I think there was a sheriff's department who said for specific calls, they weren't yes. going to be sending out. Well, they've, I think they've suspended like ambulance rides because of gas. And so if, if you just follow those, those threads on why people are protesting, I mean, I don't want to say it makes sense, but to me, it certainly makes sense. Um, they, I would argue they what do you have to lose, you know? Absolutely. And it's it's that group of individuals becoming a collective force yes. and the power inherent in that. You don't have to have a lot of authority Mm-mm. if you have numbers and a cause on your side. Exactly. And that maybe forms the bridge to our second topic. Um, this is one, it's another one, ironically, Chris, with a very powerful visual that I think a lot of us have seen. You know, over the last couple of years, we've been watching a whole series of truck driver strikes, Australia, Canada, South Korea, and now we're seeing a similar strike, but with very different visuals. In the Netherlands, we have all of these farmers pushing back against sustainability-related regulations that they believe threaten their ability to maintain their livelihood. And in order to demonstrate they are parking these massive farm tractors on the highway and simply shutting the roads. Hmm. Um, now, we talked about the why in Sri Lanka, and it's a slightly different why here in the Netherlands, but I'll let you speak to that because it's it's an interesting story. Yeah, it is interesting. And while it's seemingly very different, they are, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. They're actually very similar at, at, the, at the exact same time. And so... It is it is a touchy subject, right? I don't mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to come off as um, someone sitting over here with a, a tinfoil hat on. Meaning, the answers or the why behind this may may not necessarily be so obvious if you if you kind of follow the breadcrumbs. Um, but I I believe personally, kind of what the Netherlands is going on and what they're protesting goes beyond just maybe the specific policies themselves. But if you do some if you do some digging or just poking around, you'll see that there's a direct correlation um, to, the, I think it's called like Agenda 2030, um, which has been positioned publicly, right, as, you know, sustainable development, um, all good things. Like I, I would argue some of these things are actually pretty good, like the fertilizers are wanting to cut out. Some sure. of them are just absolutely horrible. Uh, but these, these, these policies and these decisions are being rolled out without much consideration of the impact to people. Uh, and their livelihoods. Um, what what I just knocked me back on my heels. I couldn't believe it. There was an example of a. I guess there was a Dutch dairy farmer who just based off of the the policies that are being pushed out, he will have to cull ninety five percent of his herd 
And so when you think about it goes beyond just livelihood, it actually kind of points back to a couple months ago when we connected about food shortages and what that ultimately means for farmers um, or even just food availability and the prices that will will come because of the limited, um, again, availability. So um, it's definitely a, a slippery slope, but I would say if you do some research and kind of look into the root, where the policies are coming from, it's, it goes back to the energy conversation on, are we doing too much too soon? Yeah. Um, and are we taking into account the, the, the grassroots and, and what, that, what that ultimately means for day-to-day people, just literally just trying to live life? So, Well, and I do think that's an important part of this. And I'm I'm lucky. I actually had the opportunity in an earlier role to travel to the Netherlands. It is a gorgeous country. Mm. Um, It's very agricultural, but at the same time, it's not a massive place. And so these are not mega farms, right? These are are farmers where, to your example, if someone is being asked to call 95% of his herd, that is heart-wrenching, not only for that family and for that farm operation, but for the local community. And so understanding the individual impact of any of these larger regulations creates a really difficult situation. Um, And it's important for all of us to remember that although these places may look different and the people living in them may look a little bit different, at the end of the day, when you get down to an individual community or family level, the things that are important and the things that drive our choices are ultimately more the same than they are different. Absolutely. And I think that's really what we're what we're starting to see is kind of, uh, I would say, the masses or just a large groups of people and almost, I would say, communities starting to form saying, you know, enough. And then how can how can we work together? What can we do to, together? And and to your point, the power, the power of numbers. But I mean, for me, what I've always what I've always remembered is there's very few people who want to play with faith, family, and money. Yeah. Um, and in indirectly or directly, all three of those things are being kind of addressed, you know, through these protests in both of these situations that we're kind of that we're touching on today. So so let's draw them together a little bit. I mean, we've talked about some of the similarities in terms of what's motivating people. Um, one of the other things that I touched upon in each story that also, as I say it out loud, I think about the connection even to the Ukraine, mm. the power of pictures, but really the democratization through social media, that it's not just media agencies that are able to take these pictures and get them out or film videos and get them out. It's individual people that can share their point of view with the world. I think that's another form of power, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is. Because um, again, not not to, maybe not in a popular opinion, right? But, you know, narratives um, and controlling narratives. uh, when, When you have I would say boots on the ground or people who are right in the thick of it, sharing information that doesn't necessarily even hit, you know, over here in the US, our mainstream news, right? That might be a 30 second clip and then onto the weather, wherein the reality is, is you don't necessarily have the ability to capture the full breadth or this, the, the severity of what's really going on without, whether the, whether it's, you know, Twitter or Facebook yeah. or YouTube, all these different types of sources where you're able to put live videos or images of what's actually happening, 
you know, the old saying of a picture is worth a thousand words. And there's a lot of pictures flying around right now that just really make you pause. Well, and I think the other thing, and this is something that anyone working in any aspect of supply chain has dealt with for a long time, but I think it's the impact of it has been elevated. And I think everyone's awareness of it has been increased is this tension between what is the role of governments? What is the role of international organizations like the UN, like the World Trade Organization, versus the powers and rights that belong to nations, to individual families, to individual people? You know, a lot of these regulations, when we talk about even for sustainability, right? You talked about some of the benefits from reducing some of these harmful fertilizers. Mm -hmm. The policy angle, you say, yes, this is good for our planet, but you have to sort of play out the scenario and see where is the supply chain of impact from this policy change. I think in supply chain, we're probably going to continue to study the tension created between governments and governing bodies that make these rules presumably for the common good and then the companies and countries and individuals that they impact. Yeah, well, yeah, without without question. I mean, the kind of the lesson learned if you just want to tie it back to simply a, a business example is like what what did we learn here? It's like, well, being agile is is pretty important, you know, and just <laughs> just good, I don't want to say self-awareness, but when to press in and maybe maybe when to back off. Um yeah. so if, you know, I would argue this is like a textbook change management of what not to do, right? Yeah. The, the importance of having buy-in or at least understanding for those who would, would be impacted. Otherwise, you know, in a business sense, maybe sometimes you should expect a fight um, if you're just going to move somebody's cheese without any sort of uh, context as to why. Um, so, yeah, I think what we're seeing in real time is that conversation being played out through action um, where you have these policies being pushed out or rolled out and, you know, certain groups, uh, and I would say massive groups on a, on a wide scale, a broad scale are saying, no, we're, we're not interested and, and we're not going to do that. And here's why. Um, what I hope ends up coming from this, just like we would in a business sense is, can, can we all have a conversation um, versus the the path that it seems like it may be heading, which is, is not pleasant, it doesn't seem. No. Well, and, and that actually brings up the question. And, you know, typically when people join me on The Sourcing Hero, we, we get their definition of a hero. And you and I have talked about that. Mm-hmm. But I thought what's so interesting about both of these stories is that they're so complex um, you know, this is no, what was it? I spy from the old mad magazine, right? You have like the very clear good guy and the very clear bad guy. Mm-hmm. This is not that simple. Mm-hmm. Everybody is in some sense contributing to chaos, but everybody also has legitimate perspectives and motivations. Yeah. And I'm curious about how we might draw some sort of heroism takeaways from this. You know, usually we see a hero and we think they're a hero because of an action that they're taken. And there's a lot of actions being taken by a lot of people in both the Netherlands and in Sri Lanka. I'm interested if you see any heroes, either specific individuals or, you know, a, a group, a specific group of people that's that's in some role. Can we find heroism in these two stories? 
Well, so for me, you, I think you you nailed it when you said this is like a textbook. It's not it's not very clear, and it's it's almost one of those situations like those really awesome movies who you're rooting for someone the whole time, and at the end there's a plot twist, and all along they were the bad guy. <laughs> yes, and to your point. De- depending on how you choose to view the situation, you could argue both side has a, a hero element to it because they're they're moving forward, whether it, they're moving forward with these policies, depend, independent of how people feel about it, um, or people saying, no, we're not accepting these policies. They're both, I, I, it's, it's seeming like this is a hill to die on. And that's when, that's when to me, you know, heroes are, are, are formed in the face of adversity, and when your convictions are truly tested, what what decision are you going to make? Um, and so, for me, um, I would say I would argue I would say the protesters uh, in this instance are 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 the heroes as they're they're focused on their families and their and their livelihoods. Now, again, I could I could easily play devil's advocate on, but what about the earth? Yeah. And the sustainability and the direction that we are heading and what that could ultimately mean, but I think that to me, what I'd like to see is the ultimate hero uh, a rise up, and that person being or that group being the one who can connect the dots and bring everybody back together on okay, can we slow the policies down and maybe look at more of a phased approach? Um, what what can we do? What can be done to offset some of the damages or? Uh, impact to the the farmers or to the just the people in Sri Lanka and what's going on. Um, it's a difficult line to draw. Uh, but for me, I would say that it would be to, to the actual protesters and standing firm in their convictions on, on what they believe is is right. So, Well, Chris, this has been a fascinating conversation. I've really come to look forward to these monthly conversations because we get so outside of our typical space. And yet, like your point about change management, like our points about understanding the difference between policy and execution, there are absolutely procurement and supply chain takeaways in all of these stories. Now, if we've had someone listening in today that doesn't know you, would like to connect, discuss further, or just simply add you to their network, what is the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, best way is is always through email. You can reach me at chris, K-R-I-S, at una.com. Um, alternatively, I'm, I am on LinkedIn. And then also you can take a look at our website. It's just una, so una.com. And if, if you go to about our team, you'll, you'll see my image and you should be able to kind of click through and get in touch with me that way too. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming back, Chris. We will look forward to next month and good luck in the games. No, I appreciate it. Thanks, Kelly. Talk thank soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.